and the thing of like, oh, it's not every day. It's not every day you see like the queen being fingered. Um, <laughs> it's not- I think we've got our cold open, guys. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Little Film Podcast. My name's Adam and with me tonight we've got Patrick. Hello. Dave. Hello. And Ollie. Hello. Patrick, you look so caught off guard when I introduced you there. It's reaching for a tic-tac. You uh, didn't realise that we'd started the podcast. No, very much not. Happy New Year, everyone. Can I still say Happy New Year? It's January the 20th. Well, if you're happy, it's the New Year. The whole not? New Year thing's bullshit anyway. Just You could say it in July. Happy year. Mm. Wouldn't be the new Next. year, though, would it? It's actually a weird thought, actually, how people would think you were just a nutter. Yeah. There's no difference, really. But if in June you were just like, oh, all right, mate, happy year. <laughs> we all raring to go tonight, then? We all uh, prepared? Keen for this. You're Lots all, to say. You're all loaded up on Tic Tacs. Mm-hmm. Mm. Patrick brought a big box of Tic Tacs we've been getting stuck into. So I feel like the snacks are getting progressively <laughs> less good as the podcast goes on. Well, you're saying that, but I've got a nice four-pack of double-deckers just here. Oh, okay. Yeah. You kept that quiet. The Tic Tacs are just an amuse-bouche, are they? Yeah. Just to keep us going. Yeah. Or maybe tuck into the double-deckers later on in the podcast. So, yeah, this is the uh, the first podcast of 2019. We've got a lot of films to talk about this year, uh, and we're kicking things off with The Favourite, the new film from Yorgos Lanthimos, starring Olivia Colman, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weiss. Is it Weiss or Weiss? All right, so you got Lanthimos, correct? <laughs> He's struggling with Weiss. I think it's like a soft, vo- like a Weiss. No, Weiss. it's Weiss, isn't it? Rachel Weiss. She's no, not, I she, she's get not confused German. with Raquel Welsh. Is it Welsh? <laughs> yeah, but she's not German, is she, Rachel Weiss? So it's Rachel Weiss. And is it Emma Stone or Emma Stoon? <laughs> Stone. <laughs> Stone. Emma Stone. Emma yeah. Stone. Okay. Emma Stone. Olivia um, Colmar. <laughs> Uh, so yes, I think there's going to be a lot to talk about here. I should say, as always, that we are apart from Dave. <laughs> so Dave, a message earlier, lots to talk about. Dave goes, I've got nothing to talk about. <laughs> well, maybe come to you last, Dave. Um, but yeah, no, I should say up top, as always, that uh, we will be doing this review with spoilers. This is your spoiler alert if you've not seen the film, uh, and we'll kick off with this synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes just to. Uh, Give everyone a quick recap. Early 18th century, England is at war with the French. Nevertheless, duck racing and pineapple eating are thriving. A frail Queen Anne, Olivia Coleman, occupies the throne and her close friend Lady Sarah Churchill, Rachel Weiss, governs the country in her stead while tending to Anne's ill health and mercurial temper. When a new servant, Abigail Masham, Emma Stoon, arrives, her charm endears her to Sarah Sarah takes Abigail under her wing and Abigail sees a chance at a return to her aristocratic roots. As the politics of war become quite time-consuming for Sarah, Abigail steps into the breach to fill in as the Queen's companion. Their burgeoning friendship gives her a chance to fulfil her ambitions and she will not let woman, man, politics or rabbit stand in her way. It's quite a long synopsis, isn't it? It is quite long. It's also one aspect of that I didn't even think was that accurate. Which bit? The the idea that you know, it all becomes much, a bit much for Sarah and Abigail, like, steps in. It's oh, like, yeah. It's, but she's 
poisons her. <laughs> but it becomes quite time consuming. Yeah. For Sarah. And yeah, it's like, true. it's not, it's not, there's like, oh, well, you know, you have some time off. I'll do yeah. this. It, it's, that's not what the film portrays at all. I think if the synopsis had, and then she poisons her in it, it might be a bit of a giveaway as to what happens. <laughs> one of the key parts of the It could film. say like, they vie for her attention and for power as her advisor, mm. rather mm. than like one of them. It's written by someone whose uh, comprehension of the film maybe wasn't. As good as us. Yeah, maybe Dave, did you write? No. <laughs> <laughs> film studies. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, Didn't need, sound like a prize winner. Need a film studies prize winner to, uh, to write that. I don't know why I'm making that joke. <laughs> I didn't even do film studies, let alone win the prize. Yeah, you shouldn't even be on the show. Um, so, Ollie I, think you, <laughs> Ollie, I think you've got the scores from the big online movie websites that we like to kind of get a sense of what critics have been saying. So, IMDb, 7.9. Rotten Tomatoes, 94%, mm. and Metacritic, 90%. Wow. Those are pretty high. Mm, those are high. But what about the most respected critics of the lot, the four of us? I was going to say the influencers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The thought leaders. Film criticism influencers. Um, let's go round the room and get our scores out of 10. Who wants to start? Let's go to Patrick. It's a 6 out of 10 from me mm. ollie eight dave eight i'm gonna give it seven interesting can i just say as well um on leaving the cinema my initial thought was that i'd give it less than half marks and it is one where i only watched it yesterday but even in that time it's grown on me in terms of the amount of stuff in it which is interesting mm. um so it's kind of crept up and even having like conversations with it like i spoke like my brother and my mum and like a couple other people about the film yeah it's like it's grown so it's one where i could imagine i could even give it a tiny bit more but i do yeah anyway we'll get onto it but i do there are issues with it you have misgivings yeah but if we were recording this next weekend you'd be like 9.5 yeah, no, no <laughs> chance no, <laughs> no it's got like it. it's it's not has it got like a ceiling, would you say? Your score? Definitely, yeah. yeah. And also just in terms of like enjoyment. Well, I, I don't know. Do we, want to, do we want to get into it Well, yeah, it let's get into it. I mean, well, actually the first thing I wanted to ask, because I'm, this is something I've sort of struggled with, is what kind of film is it? Like, is it, would you consider it to be a comedy? That's why a drama? I asked Dave to, just before, to say the word comedy to me, to remind me, because I was like, it is weird in that regard, because... It's darkly comic in some ways, but it I don't think there was a single moment where I laughed. It's quite odd in that regard. Because I would say the opposite. I The reason I gave it such a high score was all because I found it hilarious mm. uh, and actually laughed out loud quite a lot in the cinema, more than I would for normal comedies. I found it very funny. Really? I was thinking about it uh, on the way over here in the car and... Uh, I, I, re I just really enjoyed it at the time, mm. which is why I've scored it highly. Mm. Not so much that it's grown on me since I watched it. Okay. I've, I'll go back on my word straight away, which is that when I think of it now, like um, there are one or two bits, which I did find quite funny. Like um, it's pointed to actually, even in the synopsis there, but like the ludicrousness of like when the queen's like, oh, I want, I sent for two lobsters. We're going to like race them against each other and then eat them. Mm. like stuff like that is, is pretty but funny the lud yeah the ludicrousness of a lot of it is what's funny so like i think like when they've got the uh the chicken race 
Yeah. yeah, and he's just holding onto his hen for like the rest of the film oh, and ducks. stuff like that. Yeah, oh, ducks, runner yeah. ducks. Yeah, and he's like, this is, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, <laughs> haven't thought about it. Yet. Not, <laughs> not prize-winning level comprehension. Um, what <laughs> 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 in terms of his knowledge of common foul? You know, this one time I turn up, but I've not thought about it. Yet. Ollie, what were you going to say? Um, I did find it really funny. I didn't find it hilarious, but I found it f- funny, and I did laugh quite a few times. But the one thing on the main things I really liked about it was the mix of comedy and tragedy. Like it is, it is sad in parts and quite tragic and dark and quite depressing, but at the same time it is in, in places well, very funny, but also as well, it, it like throws out the conventions of like a sort of traditional period drama, if you like it, you know, like you're Downton Abbey's or mm. I thought very original in that regard that it was very different to that kind of, film that you'd you know if you if you saw a trailer for a new well so if you went to see a, a film about queen anne you'd have in your in your head what it's going to be like but it was a bit like mm. that did you see the trailer for the mary queen mary, Scots? yeah yeah that's like a i'm not gonna say run of the mill but sort of yeah that's the kind of so what what do you mean are you talking about things like the swearing and the no just everything like the, the well, i only mean the swearing the, in, in a sense that it's like it's not what you expect it's quite it's, like it's the, quite sort of the jarring that the the, the, the comedy elements of it the actual like cinematography as well cleverly done and quite um do you mean like the fisheye the wide angle yeah exactly it's quite it. disorientating quite cool, yeah. like it's just the whole the way it was made and the production of it, but also the themes in it and the comedy. It was just very different to what I was expecting. It's very unusual, isn't it? It's yeah. definitely very unusual. Can I just say on uh, on that point there, though, um, two points there. One is that a film which in some slight ways it has com- similarities with is the movie Marie Antoinette, the Sofia Coppola one with um, Kirsten Dunst playing Marie Antoinette in how like lavish it is in some ways, but also that one again was known for that. Like the trailer for it had like a new order song and it has like modern music in it and the way people act, but also not just that, but also that's one thing that like Margaret Atwood's known for the language she uses in like Mm -hmm. depicting that era. And it's like quite odd in a way, isn't it? Like all the swearing and Mm -hmm. um, that sort of thing. So I'm not sure. I would say that it's it it definitely no one I don't think could argue that this one plays it like really safe or um sort of standard uh costume drama at all but I do think it's not I also don't think it's like unique totally original yeah this is a weird one but a film which I actually think this <laughs> shares something with this might surprise you is American Psycho and the reason for that is that one of the themes in this film which I do think is really interesting is that what it shows is excess fashion and uh, very stylized lives and that sort of thing. But I, th- I think at least, and I'm sure that, well, I hope this is something that the director like intentionally did, is the point is, is that there's kind of nothing beneath that. And that it's also, when you stop to like really examine it, it's quite hideous. And it's also sort of embarrassing what they wore at that time to us as well and like the huge wigs and the all the men wearing like powdered um and like rouged cheeks and like britches and i mean it, it's it's ludicrous but it not must just be that. the most ridiculous time period it's just ever. amazing it's preposterous but like, it, it's worth, what were they thinking it's worth bearing that in mind though as well as, as when people are being like oh this whatever fashion is in place is like really normal because yeah. like lots of fashion you know famously like 
aspects like the 70s, 80s, you look back and like, oh my God. But I mean, that one, yeah, yeah, I think that's a real low point. But it's that point of um, there being a certain darkness or kind of hideousness about that kind of um, obsession with fashion. And the reason I bring up American Psycho is because in that, Patrick Bateman, he goes into unbelievable, meticulous detail about like, what suit you should wear in this circumstance or like how his business card is laid out. That's what it's, it's all about. It's this like, but it's, it's the insanity of that sort of like material obsession. And if a theme in this one that I thought was really well done was that there's no difference between that horrific, like whorehouse that Sarah Duchess of Marlborough uh, finds herself in at one point and the lives of like the upper class it's only like their money and whatever they're just as like base and mm-hmm. ugly and kind of grotesque grotesque is a good word actually yeah I found grotesque that, kind of sums up a lot of what was going on that's one of the issues for me is that i in terms of enjoyments i did find it i think it's an incredibly ugly film mm. um there are like a couple of costumes of the like, female characters and stuff and maybe a couple of moments which have some beauty in them but overall it's so gross like Dave, you might sympathise with this because people, men in that type of dress, it kind of looks like clowns and they kind of freak me out. And and that, and then the conversations, there's conversations of like, people will say, oh, you know, get all of them to fuck you and like syphilis and gout and like assholes. And it's just the way people speak. A lot of sea bombing as well. Yeah, the way people act towards each other. Crass. Um, it's just a very like grotty... Yeah, but was that? Film. But yeah. is that quite representative of what it was like at the time? I think it's part of the point, and it's also that thing of like one of the other things I liked a lot about it was that it's that thing of you've got these like powdered, ridiculous, grotesque figures uh, throw. There's a scene you know where they throw oranges at this naked guy, and it's in slow motion. Mm-hmm. But you're like, these are the people who are like deciding the fate of. Mm-hmm the country and stuff so that aspect of like the human fallible awfulness of actually what history like a lot of decisions are based on i think that side of it's really interesting well we'll maybe come on to like the 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 timeliness of it and whether it's meant to be a sort of satire of the current moment but there is maybe a parallel with the you know the image of of trump eating cheeseburgers in bed while tweeting and you know the 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 grotesqueness of that when it's allied to the fact that he's the most powerful person in the world. And, and these are, as you say, incredibly powerful people. It just yeah. makes it all the more obscene. Those or or risking things. nuclear war by tweeting the wrong thing to Kim Jong-un. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's that, that aspect of history is interesting. I think. It's quite, in- what's interesting about that though as well, as I found that it, I'd say it portrays the men as like that and grotesque and over the top. Generally speaking, all the male characters were sort of on the periphery of the stories and, they didn't have a huge amount of influence on what happened, whereas it was the women who have the real... Mm-hmm. And the women are all, like, they're dressed beautifully. But they're not, like, over the top, and they're not... They they generally all behave, and apart from, obviously, um, Emma Stone's character. But on a whole, it's the sort of male characters which are made out to look grotesque and over the top, whereas the women have a much more... better representation in the film. Yeah, sorry, you said 
grotesque and Patrick just pointed at Dave. Um, <laughs> I know, it's like he, I, I had to defend myself. I also, just before when I was like, Dave might sympathise with this, these hideous guys, but it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I do agree. I agree with Ollie's point to a certain degree. I mean, I do think that the female characters are painted in as horrendous, if not an even worse light than uh, a lot of the men. So although they might hold the power, I think, or at least the queen holds, you know, the power that everyone looks up to, the other two hold the power over her. I don't necessarily think that they are not portrayed as grotesque. I think we mentioned it earlier, the scene where the queen is calling in for two lobsters so that she can race them. Yeah. It sort of speaks to that thing about these people in amazingly powerful positions, but being no different from any of the peasants. And it's kind of breaking down. I think when you were talking about other films that are like this in terms of um, costume dramas, it's quite interesting to see this one where the class system is as pronounced, but the people don't behave differently. I Going back to the point you're making about... Um the power i quite enjoyed that narrative the power you know the the battle for power if you like mm. but the other thing i liked about it is it kind of kept you guessing a little bit in that you never really fully understand the motives of sarah and of abigail is it oh you know abigail's motive obviously but sarah's less so like sarah seems quite uh, to me it seemed quite genuine and like there for the queen whereas Abigail, not so much. I don't know what you guys think. Well, that's kind of almost like the twist of the film, isn't it? Because you're kind of on Abigail's side throughout. And you're egging her on. And there's these few little moments throughout the film where you're like, is she entirely genuine? And then as soon as she gets full favour with the Queen, you're like, no, she's awful. And Sarah's character, who you've kind of, who's been betrayed as being sort of conniving and Mm -hmm. sinister when she does has that sort of speech with the queen through the secret bookshelf sort of lays it on the line and you're like oh, actually she is entirely herself yeah and she's not manipulating things behind the scene it's, she does it's genuinely all- care about the queen yeah that's yeah that's an interesting interpretation like it's not that there aren't clues that um that she's uh very self-interested and Abigail yeah Yeah. I mean one example the first time in fact it's quite an interesting moment it's when she wants to be noticed and the queen's walking past and do you remember she coughs Mm -hmm. and then when the queen looks at her she says oh I'm sorry I um I think I've developed a bit of a cold from collecting those herbs for you Mm -hmm. and it and you watch that and you're like if that was someone you knew and it was like a famous person and they were like I want to you just be like that's a bit of a dickish move yes yes it makes sense and it's actually a very successful move in terms of her self-gain but i think to a degree i think both of them are 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 in it for like self-gain remember as well that sarah's character is the duchess of marlborough and marlborough um her husband is like the one of the most powerful uh figures and he was the like general Mm -hmm. wasn't he and like the battle of uh blenheim she was like looking out for her self but i think I, that is interesting, like the the degree to which she really does care for the Queen. And that's rather a good moment where she says, the Queen says like, well, you know, what's the difference between you two or whatever? And she says like, I'll say that when your eye makeup's wrong, that you look like a badger. She'll just say like, whatever you want to hear. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm the better friend because I'm actually like honest and I'll tell you when you're overstepping the mark. I think that's right. I think they're complex characters, aren't they? And especially Sarah, because I think it's both things are true that she does genuinely care about the Queen, but she is also self-interested and as you say her husband 
uh, is the military leader and so she's kind of advocating to continue the war because that yeah. sort of furthers her husband's ambitions and, and things like that. I mean, it's interesting like to what extent the history is accurate and whether that matters, whether the film is trying to be a kind of accurate portrayal. I mean, I'm a, a history buff, as you know. You know, I'm sort of the go-to guy on the podcast for uh, well. history books. You know, anything that involves a bit of a brain, um, you can <laughs> come to me. But um, no, I will... I'll hold, hold my hands up and say I knew virtually nothing about Queen Anne coming into this and have, like, read a little bit about her since. But this was... I felt like this film was quite educational for me. and But then I sort of thought, I imagine that a lot of this isn't really what happened. But it's yeah. quite interesting that, to quite a large extent, it seems to be fairly accurate. Um, like, there's a... In terms of the personal relationships, there's a huge amount of conjecture going on. And it seems like most historians think the idea that they were lovers is, you know, is pure speculation and, and probably not true. But the events, like the course of events that happened during the film seems to be more or less right. Well, including the poisoning. Can I... No. Well, no that, so that, the, 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 the bigger okay, picture like, of yeah, events. The and there's obviously yeah. lots of details that are not accurate, like the rabbits and, you know, the, the fact that she kept 17 rabbits. Things she like didn't that. have rabbits. No. no. But just the, the, the kind of overall picture of what was going on seems to be more or less, you know, the, the, the framework of it is, is correct. Can I... Uh, so... On that point, like uh, for once, I've done I like have done my home- homework to a degree as well. I actually found it really, really interesting mm-hmm. reading about um, Queen Anne since seeing the film. Dave, can you just pass Pat that um, "Well Done" sticker? He's <laughs> doing his homework. Bit of role reversal, isn't it? With I mean, that's fine. No. Usually, Why don't I just fucking leave? <laughs> <laughs> On that point about it being like generally seemingly accurate, I found it really interesting reading about Queen Anne and about this story. There's a couple of things there which I think are are really of interest and some of which are quite weird in terms of the decisions made in the film. So those characters existed. So like Queen Anne obviously existed and um, Abigail um, did come and work for her and became fairly close and um, Sarah, Duchess of Marlborough, was like a close confidant. One thing which seems like it's just um, really well documented, which is kind of interesting is that apparently the time when... So, first of all, that um, Sarah, she politically was... Like, there was quite a rift between her and the Queen. And um, But when she... There was a particular moment. Apparently, they were riding in a carriage together. The Queen had objected because Sarah had picked out some, like, really heavy jewellery for her to wear. And the Queen had, like, refused to wear it or said something. And um, Sarah had said, I'll be quiet or something like that. And the queen literally in that moment had been like, you've overstepped your mark. And from pretty much immediately like cut her off. And she didn't see her for like the last seven years of her life. The film portrays Sarah as being like really, you know, at one point she's like holding her by the throat, holding Queen Anne by the throat and like telling her what to do. That seems at best very debatable and more likely actually just fabrication. What's quite interesting is that apparently Sarah, um, it's documented that she made up this story that um, that uh, Abigail was having like a, a lesbian relationship with the Queen, but that it wasn't based on anything. And this whole thing of, you know, in the film, there's this basically this blackmail where uh, Sarah says, oh, look at these letters you wrote me about like, 
you know um you like yeah. how i feel inside you all this like graphic stuff she's like oh this would be a shame if the papers got hold of this all that stuff there's no like historical basis for it um it's just like a good story um like the rabbits it's like they yeah. they 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 made a story out of it but the the biggest thing with this which i think is is the part which i found in a way strangest historians really disagree about what Anne was like and what's strange with it is if you, if you think of like the current climate and the the wish to present uh like strong female characters what's weird in this is that the abigail and sarah characters are portrayed as being like powerful but it's in really like horrible machiavellian sort of scheming ways and what's really strange is that there have been historians now who are like actually queen anne was like incredibly impressive in all sorts of ways and all these like amazing things happened during her reign and like the formation of great britain yeah, the acts of union like, yeah, yeah and like um military successes and um peace with france and like great architecture and great writers and all this stuff and you've got someone who um is like she's had 17 miscarriages or 17 you know um she's lost 17 she's lost 17 children she was born with a condition where she was like really really had terrible sight and like constantly streaming eyes and then she has like severe gout and all this stuff and yet survived all this time and people are saying actually was quite formidable and was listened to and was a powerful figure so why i find it so strange is that like arguably it was an opportunity to have a portrayal of a female character who is incredibly admirable and resilient and instead what you get is apparently what's been the sort of usually the narrative about queen anne that she was batshit crazy and like extremely weak and just relied on like people to um like make all the decisions for her yeah is it is the film actually supposed to be historically accurate though because when i went into it and maybe this was a bit naive of me i didn't think that it was supposed to be like biographical or historically accurate. I thought that they had just used it almost as a setting to tell this story and a backdrop to tell this story. Well, that, I think that's kind of what I thought as well. I don't think I'd sort of articulated that thought, but I came out, why I say I was sort of surprised at how accurate it seemed to be is that just even something like the existence of Abigail, as I was watching it, I was kind of assuming that this was a invention that this this wasn't a real person this was just like something that could have happened at the court of queen anne so to then go and read about the fact that oh no this is a quite well documented story i mean maybe i'm just exposing my own ignorance about queen anne but i just i just knew nothing about it at all um what's interesting with that is that thing of what you're saying before it's like is it a comedy it's like also is it a history piece as well like and maybe the film in a way to me has a bit of an issue there because it arguably tries to do both. It's not like, hang on a sec, what about, you know, it's like the thing of doing the other Berlin girl. It's like doing, like focusing on one Mm -hmm. seemingly side character or whatever. It's like, you are focusing on the main characters, but are you changing it so much that it's like like not quite knowing what it is? But I do think, I do, I want to reiterate though, I do think that's really quite strange when you think of it, that there's this very plausible thing. There's this historian, Edward Gregg, who's written this whole thing right and he's basically saying like queen anne is massively like underappreciated for how extraordinarily resilient i mean people talk now about like isn't it remarkable how resilient like 
um, Queen, the current Queen, Queen Elizabeth mm-hmm. is, and she's uh, been through this many um, years and done all this stuff, and you know, still a great like source of pride of the country, all this stuff. But it's like you had a Queen who, yeah, was constantly struggling with ill health. Seventeen lost children. And she actually, they said she like attended court and was involved in decisions more than any of her like predecessors or the people who succeeded her. So it's just like, yeah, I agree. You do, you do, I did get a sense of that in the film though, of her resilience. The fact that she'd been through this, you know, the 17 miscarriages, the fact that she had gout on her leg, the fact she was in pain all the time, the fact she was tired all the time, but she kept going. Obviously there were a few moments in the film where she has the wobble or has a wobble. More where, than a few. What when they find her when she's, you know, at the open window mm-hmm. from her, from her bedroom, she's obviously struggling with her power is in, she's getting a lot of advisory from everyone else, but I still did get a sense from her that she was resident and she'd been through all this stuff, but she just kept, just kept going. I think you're right to an extent, but I, I, I do also think that she's also portrayed as quite weak willed and she's manipulated by the women around her and the prime minister and the male figures to an extent. And she's like short tempered and maybe quite childish. And it's not a hugely positive portrayal. It's a sympathetic portrayal. Like she's quite vulnerable and, uh, maybe in contrast to the other two women is quite likable but i think it's an interesting point you make patrick that she could be a feminist symbol yeah in the way that the current queen is that elizabeth the first is yeah. as a kind of strong female ruler but no one knows anything about her before this I'm, film. i'm really interested and i haven't seen about what people have said about it in terms of its portrayal of men and women and there are really interesting things there like there's that moment when See, this is a weird one. So through the conniving of Abigail, she gets word to the Nicholas Holt character, you know. Hornby. Um, Hornby. Um, I thought he was good, by the way. He yeah, was brilliant, so. actually, yeah. We'll come back to it. Anyway, back to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, she gets word to him saying that, like, this is what the Queen's planning to do. And then he has a moment of, like, it is a good political move where, you know, as she's about to speak, he knows what she's going to do and stands up and says, like, I just want to say... Um, it's so brilliant that you're not like doubling the tax because of this, that, and the other. And like, we're so grateful and what a brilliant position you've put us in. Of course, the queen was about to like double the tax. Her reaction is to faint, uh, no, to, sorry, to fake having, uh, to fake fainting. So what interests me is that if you are looking at this in a kind of, um, whether it shows positive portrayal of female characters or of women, it's a really interesting one because in that one, it's like the male politicians of which, you know, they're all male, like put her on the spot. And her reaction is like, oh, I, and I'm going to faint. There's another scene where the, the male politicians um, are like talking to her about some issue and she's just really tired and she like, she can't really see. And she's saying like, oh, just leave. I just want to like lie down and stuff. It's like, it's a weird one because the, the, the characters who the director decided, like, these are the ones I'm showing as strong women. They're strong, but they're also fucking awful. And certainly Abigail's character ends up being, it's just like this schemer who, like, will poison her rival. You know, they're both, like, kind of will do anything for power and stuff. They're being strong, but, like, with horrible tactics, whereas there was an opportunity to show a central character who is much stronger than history's given her credit for. But then is that the consensus that Anne was... I don't this think so. I don't think like, it's I, there even... will be some historians who wouldn't yeah. agree with that. If they had portrayed her like that, they would say, well, that's not accurate either. I mean, I, th- I think she, again, from what I've read since watching the movie, I think history has treated her unkindly because Sarah Churchill wrote 
biography or memoirs where you know after falling out with her where she was really yeah negative about her and people kind of took that as true and so there has then been a reassessment that yeah maybe we shouldn't believe everything that we read in sarah churchill's diaries or, or whatever but yeah i think if, if if they had gone down the line of just kind of lionizing her would that not also have been maybe slightly historically sketchy I just think it's an interesting question yeah. in general about whether whether it matters, as you say, Dave. Like you kind of came in, think like not expecting it to be a kind of uh, really realistic or, or true to life period piece. If that is the case, like how how much license do you give a film to just kind of muck about with the historical truth? Like, does it matter? Yeah, I mean, yeah. For, I mean, obviously, for me, it, it didn't matter. Mm. Like, I mean, it's it's amazing for me in many ways sitting here and hearing. Almost the historical bait, debate between um, two brilliant orators. That's not what I was going to say. <laughs> two little Weasley wankers. Two people I know uh, yeah. mm. about it, just because for me, that wasn't really what the film was about, the historical side of it. Yeah. But as you have both quite clearly shown, it follows uh, historical narrative accurate, relatively accurately if not necessarily in the portrayal of the characters. So perhaps maybe I was ignorant mm. to completely sort of overlook that aspect of it. But I, it, it's interesting to hear about. But yeah, for me, it didn't really affect the film. And I feel like the way that the characters were portrayed and everything like that kind of mirrors the sort of films that this director's made before, like The Lobster and Is It the Killing of a mm. Sacred Deer, where everyone is kind of just a bit repulsive and there's you know, mm. kind of behaving in cruel, very odd ways, and cruel. Cruel is a really good word. Because also, the the Sarah character is not without her like negative sides. Well, and she's kind of bullying, and you know, when mm. they do those scenes, which are quite good as well, where they're like shooting yeah. birds, but she's basically threatening her and saying like, "Oh, you know," when she says that thing about like sometimes hard to remember whether you've like loaded the gun. Yeah, she's and threatening other girls, and, and her whole like way of being, and the fact that. It's, it's just a series of quite strange decisions because one thing, I don't know why this came to mind, but there's a line in Birdman um, and actually it's um, Edward Norton saying it to Emma Stone's character where he's, they're doing like truth or dare or whatever and she, he says truth and she's like, oh, so boring. And he's like, no, truth's always interesting. It, it almost strikes me as like the real story sounds, or not the real story because we can't know history exactly, but what's taken to be what actually happened seems like it was kind of interesting enough and that power play because there was jealousy definitely between um sarah and abigail historically so it seems like there was interesting enough so another decision that's like what what are you doing with it is like female characters the female characters who are the ones like pulling the strings and the ones with power and stuff they also have to kind of like whatever it is like sexually submit to what the queen wants in order to get their way and they have to like do all these things it's 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 strange it's at the least kind of interesting yeah so how I, it portrays I, is there the a question then about like because that's made up as well as in like there's no as, as far as i understand it, there's no like actual basis mm -hmm. for like they were sleeping with the queen and mm -hmm. um this was going on so does, does that then is there a question then of well why did they make these decisions like why is it the kind of film that it is people in reviews are talking about it as being a very timely film. Like maybe it's a satire talking about, you know, parallels with Trump and that kind of thing. And I wondered if you picked up on any of that. I mean, it's it's hard to just reading about the production of the film. It's hard to think that it is kind of knowingly a satire because apparently they wrote this script in 1998. Um, and it like the, is it, uh, Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara wrote the original screenplay in 1998. And it's obviously been refined 
since then. So yeah, I can't imagine it was originally about Donald Trump. But like, yeah, is there is there a parallel to be drawn in the way that the power politics at the top is portrayed and things that are going on at the moment? I think that's uh, that's actually just something I just wasn't being very switched on about that because I hadn't actually thought about that in terms of its timeliness. But that is a very good point. And the sort of thing about the disconnect between the kind of ivory tower um, and the people who are making decisions. Like this film as well reminded me of, it's like stories of, the, the, the stories of like, extremely wealthy completely sort of disconnected white men standing around with maps of africa literally just dividing it up with a pen oh we can just put a line there like forgetting that that goes straight through the middle of like an entire tribe or group of people or place and it'll divide people or that oh no there's a, there's a mountain there we'll just put it slightly to the left that sort of thing of like it's scary that these like powdered absurd figures and with their like um, duck racing and throwing oranges at naked man um, that they're the ones like making the decisions I do think yeah. that aspect and that could be good. where there is a direct parallel to Trump is in, in that kind of grotesque figure that you're talking about and also with Queen Anne and the, or at least the way she's portrayed in the film there could be a parallel in terms of this quite sort of uh, childish uh, you know maybe impulsive like someone with quite a loose grip on reality who's actually the most powerful person probably in the world yeah. at that time uh, and how scary that is. It is like that because like, obviously as well, they say about Trump that he literally just changes his opinion depending on who's in the room. And it's exactly what happens in this film. Yeah. That's what I mean about weakness. Cause I agree with you, Ollie, that like, it's not necessarily that it's a negative portrayal in terms of, for me, one scene that was crucial for this. And I would have maybe even like changed my mark slightly. A scene that I thought was so necessary was one where, the queen just says quite matter of factly, she's talking about the rabbits and she's like 17, like one for each of my children. Some of them were born as blood. Like some of them died in my hands and like some died soon after or something. And it's like, it is, I think it's a really, really good performance from Olivia Colman, but it's also like absolutely heartbreaking. And without that moment of like humanity in it, yeah. to me, the um, grossness of it um, which I still found like a bit just not that fun to look at for a whole film. Like I would have been a bit too much without like any kind of warmth. I thought the whole film is, I think, tied to that moment as well, because like the way it ends, I know people are, don't really necessarily like the way it ends. My parents went, both went to see it and they were just like, yeah, I wouldn't watch that again. <laughs> Didn't get the ending. Very strange. Mm. But obviously it's kind of saying that despite both of these women's best attempts to curry favour with her, at the end of the day, all she really cares about was her children. Like, yeah. that's really the most important thing to her and, and none of them were born, which is why she cares so much for the rabbits. Definitely does yeah. inject that that vulnerability yeah. into her character that, that wouldn't be there otherwise. We're, we, you mentioned a great performance from Olivia Colman. We should probably talk about the performances because in, to some extent this is a film... That, I was going to say it's, been carry, it's carried by its performances. That's not quite right, but it's... It's being talked about, I think, largely because of the performances. I mean, what do you think, Ollie? Like Olivia Coleman? Yeah, I thought her she performance, was yeah. superb. Like she just switched between like being childish, being imperious, being tragic. Like she just covered all the bases, and she's just like it's like magnetic to watch. She's just, I think, she's fantastic. Like she was amazing in um, Tyrannosaur. Tyrannosaur yeah. She, yeah, she's brilliant in that, and she's like she's even like, she's great in Peep Show. Like she's just a really, really great actress, and in this, she was just 
Yeah, she, she just makes it look so effortless, I think. I thought she was brilliant at this, but I think, she, yeah, she's consistently excellent. And so it's really nice to see that she's finally getting the recognition. And unlike Leonardo DiCaprio, probably getting the recognition yeah. at award level for the right films mm. yeah. and, and the right performance. And also any any issue I maybe have with the portrayal of Queen Anne is just that. It's not in the performance. It's in the, like, how they decided it should be done. But as portraying, like, a deeply troubled... Those scenes where, like, she's really enjoying the dance. It happens twice. She's enjoying the dance, and then later on she's enjoying the music being playing outside watching her face it's it really is quite an amazing performance because you literally see her face change from like this joy to like suddenly something comes to mind you kind mm. of like she kind of looks into the distance and stuff and she starts saying like 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 make them stop make them stop and like mm. it, it's really like very good i think and funny and it is a central like that is the performance that phone uh, sorry that film will be remembered for but it is effectively three central performances because they, they all get equal i'd say equal screen time as in it's all do you know what i mean like there's three leads effectively who are all played really well i thought emma stone was really good and also we we've brought up in the past a few times like americans doing british accents and how terrible they are but i i thought she was brilliant she did a good it, accent she is i find that it's a really good point because before I went into the film, I thought it was going to be all about Queen Anne. And <laughs> the film is about Queen Anne. But, you know, she was getting nominated. She's being nominated for a lot of Best Actress. And Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone are being nominated for a lot of Best Supporting Actress roles. But actually, they're actually probably more prominent in the film. They've almost got more leading roles. And she's slightly supporting to them. So I find that quite strange i mean her role her her performance i think is is the best of the three and the most powerful i agree but i i find yeah how how she works within the narrative i would have said one of the other characters was more or protagonist for me i'd say yeah that like olivia Coleman's performance is the standout and is it it's fantastic you know it's awards worthy or whatever mm. um i thought rachel weiss's performance was really good and I thought Emma Stone's was like fine. I didn't find hers like that good, but I think maybe it's partly just to do with like the character she's assigned. And like, yeah. I find it somewhat implausible. Do you remember that scene where she keeps hitting herself in the face? Yeah. And then she sits on the floor and she's kind of like fake crying. And I know that in the world of the film, she is fake crying, like for the queen to like get sympathy and stuff. But her fake crying her performance of someone fake crying i just was like it's a bit overdone and it's, it's it. not quite at the level of the other two and i do think maybe generally i find that emma stone is like quite good but she's not like i don't she's not my favorite talking about um olivia yeah she's not the favorite oh wow <laughs> i was gonna say talking about olivia coleman being having an awards worthy performance i think she's being hotly tipped to potentially win the best actress oscar i want to rewind a bit to the hereditary podcast when you ollie mcveigh said that you thought tony collette should win uh, the oscar for best actress did i you did and i want to ask you now which performance you thought was better you say a lot of things on this podcast don't you ollie wow that you come to regret these things will come back and haunt you <laughs> But that's a great performance also. That's so what, what, which one did, did you think was better? Mm. Oh, that's really tricky. Because like she, like Olivia Coleman, 
is superb in this, and as is Tony Collette. <laughs> right, but Tony Collette. Has We've that. got that. We've got but that. But it just sticks. <laughs> that was so literally yeah, yeah, that's part of the question. In my head, that in Hereditary, the um, I know what you're going to say. Where she yeah. leaves the house for the day, and the scream is just still haunts me. It's horrible. It's that moment of the like one of the moments of any film that you've seen. Yeah, it's just yeah. incredible. Chilling. <sighs> yeah. Can I get back to you on that? I need to have a think. You liked um, Nicholas Holt, didn't you? You wanted to say that you liked Nicholas oh, Holt. Well, yeah, all I wanted to say was that I like Nicholas Holt, and I did kind of say that. But yeah, I, I thought he was good. We're talking about it being funny. Like, I thought a lot of the kind of comic elements came through his character, and I thought he did that well. I like Mark Gattis as well, played Lord Marlborough. He's yeah, barely he's in it, though, isn't he? But he is great. Yeah. Just a little bit of screen time <laughs> with bit him. Of Gattis. I, I love him. Yeah. <laughs> I really um, do. So, like, just one thing one issue is that like so i i really like game of thrones but certain aspects of it as we've talked about sometimes i think are like the least good but the ones which get the most attention and they're because they're sort of easy attention grabbing things so if it's particularly like gross or violent or like there's like a penis on screen or something so like that one episode where you know she walks naked through the thing and then some guy like jumps out in front of her naked and the oh, people the are going shame, like shame. yeah exactly and people yeah. are going like you can't and I was just like that episode was so full of like them going oh you don't see this often on screen so one of the reasons I gave the film a lower mark mark is that I felt like the whole thing of like the lesbian scenes and the thing of like oh it's not every day is is that thing a bit it's like it's not every day you see like the queen being fingered um <laughs> <laughs> it's not- I, think, I think we've got our cold open guys <laughs> but you know what oh, i mean that'll be on the poster yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but that that's you, one of the things it's like what's the usp of the film I do know it's what like you, you have the queen and like you know with gout and like psychotic and all this stuff being fingered by emma stone or whatever it's like it's it's that part of it, no one agrees happened and stuff. So you're like, your central theme for the movie, in a way, is this. And it's like... Yeah, and I know what you mean, because you can sort of imagine... And the fact the film you, ends with that as well, doesn't it? Yes, and yeah. you can imagine the the writers kind of typing away, going, oh, this will be controversial. Exactly. This will create a conversation. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing where people will be like, oh, awards, awards, awards. <laughs> like, like, that's something that's really, yeah. like, pushing but, the boat out. It's like, that's fucking easy. I was it? actually thinking about a comparison between this and Game of Thrones in, in the... Like in the way that we talked about earlier on, like back at the start of the podcast, like some of the swearing and some elements of the fact that it's not your kind of typical period drama, like costume drama, that there are these kind of jarring elements in it. Because actually that's one of the things that people like about Game of Thrones is that it's like really earthy and it kind of did for fantasy uh, what this is in some ways doing to costume drama, that it's like it's bringing in these kind of uh, base elements that you wouldn't normally expect to see and i think that's something that people like about game of thrones but it's also something that is taken way too far sometimes in game of thrones it just becomes gratuitous and it's like people talk about the sex position and the things that it's like let's just have a you know five minute scene where some people are having sex you know and then we just move on to the next scene of graphic violence and, yeah. it's, and that's it's, an ep- and we got ourselves an episode it's the comedian yeah. using the f word constantly yeah it's like it's the it's the easiest like mm-hmm. oh like Roy Chubby Brown. Yeah. It, well, it, it's... Sorry, you, never, sorry, you said comedian, didn't you? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. And I would never <laughs> compare this film... I would never compare myself Roy Chubby Brown to Roy would Chubby not Brown. get a six out of ten, <laughs> apart from on like a racism scale. 
Um, should probably wrap up. We should probably come towards the end here. One other very quick thing. <laughs> I found the soundtrack actually quite annoying. Oh, And oh, I'll yeah. tell you What's why. I really like Some that. of the pieces are quite good, like the kind of, um, what do you call them, like organ pieces and sort of classical bits. And I think that works quite well. But did you notice this or was it just me? Like once I noticed it, it just annoyed me a lot where there'd literally be like five to 10 minutes of dum, yeah, yeah. dum, dum, for honestly yeah. constant. And I'm like, okay, but like, I get it. It wasn't like the kind of weird sounds of There Will Be Blood, where it's like all about this like noise or even like the skill of Trent Reznor in um, Social Network, where it really affects the whole tone. I was just like, it's kind of getting a bit annoying. Uh, Dave's desperate to get in. I was going to say, I, I really liked it. I do agree it's not up to the to that sort of standard. But I, di- I liked the sense it created. I thought when I when it was going through those periods, I was like, reminds me a lot like a, of like a horror film. Yeah. Like putting me mm. like on edge and make, making me feel uneasy. And I think it helped in many ways kind of set a tone for the film in that sense so that it yeah. was uneasy. So that when you had like the humour, like it kind of broke it, like you were ready to laugh at something because you'd been put on edge. Yeah. They're just how I felt. But I, yeah, I agree. It's not to like, that sort of level of soundtrack. And then on that thing of like, uh, so, sorry, just uh, on that thing, just the, and this I did just think like, there's good and there's interesting and there's different ways of looking at things and then there's pretentious, the chapter titles with oh, the yeah. spaced I'd out letters. i forgotten about that. The yeah. spaced yeah. out letters. I was like, that adds nothing and is just affected and But that's boring. just a piece of like subjective design. No, I know, but what, but the, all of these things, if you think a director is worth like analyzing, then you're like, it was a decision. And that one is just like, yeah, but it's just his, his, his style of doing it. Like you see that a lot. Like it's, it's in the witch, isn't it? There's a lot of chapters. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, I know. No, so it's it a Tarantino happens, film. It's just, he, I know he wanted to style it in that particular. Yeah, and I, I, thought, I don't think I just a... thought the style was like, you could say that about anything though, Ollie, couldn't you? But the music, any the decision music. in any film is, is that, yeah, you could, you yeah, can... but I don't. I don't think it needs critiquing because he used right. like. What? What? Why no, doesn't no. that need critiquing? Kind of kill the, the idea the, of the podcast. The rest of the film is <laughs> no, about no, no. critiquing. No, no, as in like the t- the typography on the chapter but it's, titles. It's something which features like ten times in the movie, and then all of the credits are like that as well. It's not just typography, though. It's not just like the the font style that we're talking. It's the fact that the letters are really spaced out and it lays it out like and it's yeah, obviously that's, like that's a, typography, a gimmick. Though. I think what we're going to find out here is that Ollie is Ollie's a designer. Yeah. He's probably designed a website like this a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. You're going to hate it. Yeah, but but and also when you design a website, when you do things, it's like I'm doing this, and what's the purpose behind it? What did that add other than me going like that's, that's what pretentious I mean, like, and there's being no difference to what the what his idea was behind that mm. or whether it was just literally a visual did you not find style? that like a bit affected no no, no, I no yeah I know what you mean it's, it's it's kind of self-conscious but we need to move this on because we we're coming to the end you to say something about the music. the music yeah I listened to Kermode's review of the favorite the bits you're the bits you're talking about he was he was saying that it's to do with the pain that the character's going through at particular moments that it happens when she's going through a particular incident of pain and it gets worse and worse. So like the leg treatment scenes where she's progressively getting in more and more and more pain. And then it builds up to that like crescendo where then there's that like moment of relief, if you like. So I, 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 I enjoyed the the score and I liked the way it switched between organy traditional stuff you'd expect to hear in a period piece, but then also this quite like unnerving, uncomfortable 
That's interesting. That, that point about pain is like an interesting one, but I actually just don't agree with it because like there are scenes I can actually think of where it's just characters walking down corridors um, and it has that like repetitive But it's not sound. maybe a physical pain, it might be a mental pain. I like. No, I know, but I mean, it's not, that those scenes aren't related mm. to the... I, th- I think what you said, Dave, uh, is a good point, which is just it, it contributes to making you feel uncomfortable which mm. the film does try to do and that's just going back to the very start that's what what for me makes this film quite weird and my, that would be the word i'd use to describe this film above all is weird because it is a comedy it is funny but it does actually make you feel uncomfortable almost like you're watching a horror movie for most of it um, and i watched it with uh, elena my girlfriend and she's she said her main takeaway was that it's quite a strange thing that you can be both fascinated and repulsed by something at the same mm. time and she just like sort of couldn't look away from it I, yeah. but wasn't necessarily enjoying it. I agree with that and I do, do just think again that thing of like there's almost no beauty in the film. Mm. I think that's right but broadly speaking it seems like we enjoyed it. I mean even you Patrick have given it you know, yeah. not a disastrous mm. score. No, yeah. Do we think it's uh, going to be in the running for the, the Oscars? I think definitely for the performances I'm not necessarily sure for best film category. I think it would be nominated, but I don't think it will win. Certainly it will be nominated, yeah. yeah. But I don't think, for me, it shouldn't necessarily be the winner. But uh, I thought very good film. And yeah, Olivia Coleman I think, definitely deserves recognition. Yeah. Okay, well, that about brings us to the end. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having Cheers us round, Ollie. No Thanks. worries. Thanks, Ad. Until next time. This will be your last one for a while, Pat, won't it? I know. Fare thee well. Off to Tanzanar. 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 Our man in Africa. I can, uh, <laughs> I can send... Uh, Get your ear yeah, to the ground. Send my reviews over. Yeah. I'm closing my laptop. Do so some of those Han Solo yeah, ones well, again. If, if it's the last one for me, it's probably the last one for the listeners as well. Ha 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 ha. Oh, dear. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. Funny guy. Good to have around, isn't he? All right. See you later, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. work tomorrow Ooh, i've got man. work in the morning Ooh, big boy school <laughs> and you got uh, pack my briefcase and you got two podcasts to record right let's go it's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> just annoying <laughs> space to start at eight career yeah sorry 
don't oh, put that on there. Yeah, because that's going to... Nice. Pod 101. <laughs> yeah. Those Tic Tacs as well, they're yeah. an accident way down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you just shake your Tic Tacs at me? And pretty... Um, sorry. I've got a word here that's trying to write down. Um, Cheese. He's like, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> also, when we record a second episode in, okay. a, in a double header... The second one is always shorter, which works for me because it's my first edit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Whereas if we do the fave, if we do, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? Bird, Bird Box, box yeah. first, it's going to be like yeah. an hour long and I'm going to be like, fucking hell. I have really. you done a... I've had an editing masterclass, yeah. Okay. I've had an editing class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, masterclass now, you know, when you've got all those videos online, which is like... Heston Blumenthal teaches cooking. Yeah. If you had Bath doing no offense. Yeah. Like, I rewound on that. It wouldn't have quite the same. I rewound story. on that a bit quicker. <laughs>